going on, everybody? Welcome to the podcast presented by Bike911.com. I'm Greg White with JP. What's going on, JP? G-Dub, how's things? Yeah, good, man. You know, yeah. just... Uh, You've been traveling. Back in Vegas, and yeah. yeah, I'm done with... I'm done with three weeks, which is good, you know? And, and so. give me the quick little, like, overall, was it good? It was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's about I like mean, my, my golf three, game right now. <laughs> well, there's three elements, right? There's three elements. There was my shooting. There was... I worked, you know, I worked like uh, doing these live hits from the venue, and then I, I commentated. The commentating stuff went well. The live hits were fine, but my shooting, you know, like. Uh, but luckily for me, um, my coach showed up. Like, <laughs> so Jay, when you shoot a Vegas round, it's thirty arrows. Yeah. And you start either on the top or the bottom, and of the bale. So you have a forty-eight inch by forty inch bale, forty-eight inch bale, and then you have four targets. Yep. And you start at the top, you shoot 15 arrows, then you switch at the halfway point to the bottom. So we oftentimes just break those rounds up into, into halves, you know, just like you do front nine, back nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I should be shooting 15 10s each yep. end. And you have a 10 ring, which is four centimeters. And then inside that, you have a two centimeter ring. That's the X ring. The yep. X ring is the same, same amount of points, but X's are ties and... You know, if you shoot X's, people are like all, you know. All right, if you say I shot a 300, you know, 30 arrows, 30, 10 points each. Yep. 300. Everybody always asks you, well, how many X's did you shoot? And if you don't shoot 27 X's as a as a professional shooter, like, they just kind of wave you off. Wave you off, yeah. You only shot two. But a 300 is a 300. So I get shooting the first day, and um, I end up the first half. I missed four points, so I shot four nines, and I only shot three X's. Yep. I mean, just absolutely come unglued. Yep. Came unglued. I turn around at the halfway point, and there's my coach, Jeff Sanchez, sitting there. And he looks at me and goes, what the F are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's just like, you're, you're, you know, you're, your hand is, is really tight. You're this, you're that. He goes, just fix, he goes, work on this and this. So it just gave me two things. Yeah. We changed targets. And by the 14th of 15 arrows on the back half, I'd shot 13 X's. And the only X I missed was a 10. It's amazing what somebody can just see, though. Like, that's why it pays off to have a coach, you know? It's, dude, it's huge. Now, yeah. what ended Even up happening on the very the last arrow, yeah. yeah, the very last arrow, I threw a nine. But that's because I stepped up to the line and I have this internal conversation with myself like, oh, man, the first half was junk. I can't believe I dropped four. Yeah. You know, this back half's going to be a 150 with 14X. That's impressive. You know what I mean? And then next thing you know, I just hit the button, release goes off and, yeah. and into the nine ring. So I didn't, really, I didn't really think about it, you know. Then the next morning I wake up, I go to the practice range. I got to shoot at 7 a.m., by the way, so I'm up at like 5.15 both mornings. I get up, I go to the practice range, and I shoot a 326X. Best game I've ever shot in my life. I go, this is awesome. Go right to the range. We have two ends of practice scoring, so six arrows, all Xs. First end of, of scoring, three Xs, XXX. I go, this is awesome. Yeah, and you're ready to go. Whammo. Whammo. Completely fell off the rails. Yeah. Next end, a nine. Next end, two nines. And uh, yeah, it was pretty sad. And then Sanchez showed up two ends to the end of that match. And I ended up shooting 10 XXXXX. Like it was, it was the craziest thing. Wow. 
So then, but... I have, my, I have my little spy over there on you. Did you? Yeah. So then we had a conversation. He had to leave. So he said, look, tomorrow morning when you shoot, just think about A, B, and C. And I said, okay. So I had a much better round. I shot... I only dropped two points the whole round. I shot a decent X count. Like, I was so pumped after Sunday's round yeah. that I was... I couldn't come home. I couldn't wait to come home and practice. Yeah, you know? that's good. And so, you know, in the end... There's 120 shooters in my class. I finished like 54th. Like it yeah. wasn't even a thing. And I, I know I can shoot better. But it's, it, you know, overall it was pretty good. And sorry to get into all that detail. It's just, I was thinking about coaching and how really important it is to be open to coaching and open. But also, Jay, you know, the way that he coaches me, he just understands how my brain works, right? Well, he understands you. Yeah, that's, that's, that is probably a bigger deal sometimes than the actual advice you give somebody. If you, if you see a trend with somebody, you can help them without even having to actually give them the thing they need to work on. You know, you can say a certain thing or a certain word and it'll trigger something in somebody's mind or brain and especially if you know them. So it's, that's what I found even with doing, you know, the more personal coaching that we do now. um, I've been having to talk about this a lot lately, but man, when I used to do the big schools, you, you really could understand why people send their kids to private schools for, smaller classroom size, more individual attention, more because the one-on-one stuff is so much better. And and uh no, that's that's great. I um Yeah. That's what I tell people about like going to the college that I went to, yeah. Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, and I you know, I have a degree in aviation business. I mean, by the time we get to, you know, the end, there I mean, there's only 30, 32 people in the classroom at, when I went. Yeah. And I just felt it was a much better education because I knew my professors and you know, we could leverage that relationship a lot better. You don't see a lot of like group golf, like golf coaching, like groups, like mm-hmm. 30, 20 people. It's always so individual. And even if you get 15 or 20 people, there'll be eight or nine coaches, you know, like at certain golf camps or academies or, and I think it's probably like that. The The individualized stuff is, is a lot better, but, but man, let's take, let's get into some racing. Cause I know we had a lot going on this week. We well, um, we did, we did. Yeah. But let's, you know, it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a somber note on this it podcast. Is. So let's let's talk about that for a yeah. second. So what's the, what happened? Well, you know, um, I think that when you start talking about people that you're close to or paddock insiders and this and that, you don't realize how important or how much they mean to you. Maybe until something as tragic as what's happened to Jason Aguilar has happened. Um, it's hit me. It's hit me probably a little harder than it might have had I not been around him as much as I was last year, Greg. Obviously, crew chief for Michael Gilbert. Jason was a tremendous rider to start with. Um, won the Super Sport or Super Stock uh, Championship. I believe it was 17 that he did that. Correct. Yeah. And him and Michael really grew up together. Michael Gilbert, they really grew up together. They raced uh, small bikes together, came through the club ranks together. And when Jason had something fall through last year to actually go racing himself, Michael grabbed him as a crew chief. And I got to spend a lot of time with him. And this news of Jason's passing this week at, this last weekend, unfortunately, in a, in a mountain bike accident, um, man, it's just the last two days. It's just walking around with my head down a little bit, you know. He was very charismatic. He was, if you met Jason or knew him, um, he was always a really positive guy. He was a lot of fun. Like, like he was just a lot of fun. I'm going to miss going to dinners with him like we did last year at some some, some of the tracks. Um, 
but it's just it's it just kind of goes to show you again, Greg, as we get older, it all these examples of life being so fragile are just keep popping up and uh, it's really, really sad week for us all in the Moto America paddock um, that we lost Jason Aguilar this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I've obviously been around him, you know, since he started being a commentator and everything else. And um, he's always had a really interesting and hilarious sense of humor. And very dry. things, Very dry sense of humor. And just always such a great guy, always welcoming in the paddock. And yeah, I mean... Um, and he's had some great races, but more more so, I remember him as a as a really good guy. You know, well, you know the thing about him too this this year <clears throat> or last year, uh, we went to Atlanta, and Michael had a longtime crew chief that you know Teague that now works for Moto America, and Michael didn't have a crew chief. He was a little bit like, who do I get? Who do I get? And when Jason kind of came up, he thought, ah, this will work. I know Jason pretty well, and we'll see how much he knows. I tell you, by the second round, Jason was so into the job and he was so good. All of his decision making was so educated and so well thought out. Michael and I would have discussions at night because generally Michael would stay with me at some of the tracks and he'd say, Jay, I cannot believe how good this is. Like, I can't believe how good Jason is and how thorough he is and would not leave the track until he thought that he had given Michael everything he possibly could for the next day. Like... It was almost like he came into his own and went full circle into everything. Like he was just so good. And and Michael, even though Jason wanted to go racing again in 22, Michael was 100% behind that, but sad at the same time because because Jason Aguilar had done such a tremendous job with him all throughout last year. They once you know they came out and they won the first race they did together, and um, and then they had some podiums and stuff after. But I think it gave Michael another perspective on one of his best friends too. Like they worked well together. It was all, all last year was kind of like a surprise for Michael, how good everything went, you know? And, and I know it's hit him pretty hard as well as a number of Jason's friends from down South. Yeah. Southern California. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to miss Jason Aguilar and obviously this podcast is dedicated to him. So Absolutely. we're thinking about you, Jay. Um, so like we mentioned, it is presented by Bike911.com. If you're looking for some legal stuff and you need some advice on contracts or maybe you've been in a motorcycle accident or whatever, reach out to the folks at Bike911.com. Now, on this one, we're going to talk a little bit of Supercross. I, I have a feeling Supercross is going to, we're going to breeze through it this time, Jay, because we got so much to talk about. We do. MotoGP bikes, we're back in action. It's a pang. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff that's gone on there because if you think about it, it's really been, you know, two years of frozen development and so a lot of people companies brought out a lot of new stuff uh world superbike literally as we're doing this podcast just wrapped up a test uh not even an hour ago uh, yeah portamao um and we're going to tell you who was there and what was going on um you know so we have all kinds of lap times to talk about that type of stuff so if you want to support the channel patreon.com slash greg's garage tv and um if you want to see some video stuff that I do, you can go to Greg's Garage TV channel. But before we get into all that, we'll get into some brief news presented by Arai. I'm getting better at that. See, like you got to prepare, you know, I got the I got the music going and all that kind of stuff. Great. Yeah. Hey, Arai's proprietary one-piece multi-density EPS liner was developed to precisely position the most appropriate density for each part of the liner. 
This indispensable technique is an absolute necessity for producing a form that maximizes glancing off, or in other words, a shell that is round and smooth. Learn more at AriAmericas.com. It is the Ari difference, protecting your noodle. All right, Jay, let's just start off with something really simple here because I just mentioned that there was the test in Portimao that just wrapped up. And I, you know, I was kind of thinking about it. It's more of a news item, I think. So I mentioned last week that Danilo Petrucci was coming to America, that it was officially announced. I also kind of leaked some stuff that the Warhorse HSPK Ducati Racing New York rider on his Ducati V4R was going to be at Portimao and that they were going to have Dunlop tires and VP fuel. And he did. And they've just finished up two days of testing. Now, he didn't have a transponder, so we don't know for sure. But the people that I spoke with said that he was right around the time of Michael Rubin Rinaldi on the Pirellis. Now, I do know that that uh, Tony Romo from Dunlop was there, that they brought 24 tires, and that his lap times are very competitive. I also know that if you go to worldspk.com, that Petrucci did a couple of minutes worth of interview talking about how he's still tired from the Dakar, yeah, how bet. the muscles you use in, in riding that motorcycle aren't necessarily the same as you would use on a ro road race bike. But from the text messages I was getting from Portimao, everyone said that the dude was just putting in laps. I mean, laps, 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 and just wearing himself out to try to get to know not only the motorcycle, because think about it, he's been the last several years on GP, but also these Dunlop tires with this VP fuel. So, first of all, Jay, I'm curious, now that it's out there and he went, what do you think of the effort that the Warhorse HSBK team is putting into Danilo Petrucci and that Ducati's putting in? Because obviously it wasn't the team, it was Ducati that was running the show. Well, I think that, first off, I think it's amazing that they're over in Portimao testing. I think it shows a huge investment in what they want to try to accomplish here in America, right? That the fact that they're going to bring all the Dunlop technicians over to Portimao, uh, they're going to run next to the factory team over there. Um, I think last year was a bit of an eye-opener because I, as well as you and a number of people, I think we thought that Loris Baz was going to come in here and and really do something on that motorcycle because we had seen that in the past. Other riders have been able to kind of come and dominate, um, you know, from 19 and 20 with, with Ducati. I, I know in World Superbike, they always had somebody there, but I think that we thought that bike here in our series with that rider was going to be hard to beat. And it just didn't shape up that way. And I think that it goes to show you the efforts of Attack, Stamboli, Gagne, how good he was last year. I think Cam will be every bit as good. Uh, he'll be better than he was last year as well, Cam Peterson. So I think Ducati's taken it much serious, more serious. I think now that they got their butts whooped, that they're going to be much more invested in the rider and trying to figure out what they could do to get this bike working on Dunlop tires. And that was the whole purpose of them being over there. So I'm encouraged. I think it's it's going to give Petrucci, I think, a little bit better chance than maybe Baz had. Yeah, and he kind of indicated that they might do more testing because he'd said in that interview that He's not coming to the States until the end of March and that they were going to continue testing in Europe. Now, I don't know what that means exactly, but, you know, Petrucci, if you think about it, Jay, he um, he's raced, what, stock 1,000, stock 600. I mean, the only class that he's really skipped on his way to where he is now because he raced MotoGP yeah. is Superbike. 
Yeah. And so the person interviewing him did ask him, like, if you get the opportunity this year, would you come do a World Superbike race? And he kind of indicated that there must have been a conversation about that. I hadn't even thought about that, actually. But yeah. it'd be interesting to see him, you know, jump from bike to bike. I mean, obviously, he said in his interview, the focus is the Moto America Championship, hands down. Yeah. So, well, I think that he rose. He would love got, to try it. You got Rinaldi's up at the end of the year, right? And I think that I think, um, you know, I think that that will be, you know, eventually that's kind of what it looked like they wanted to do is get Baz. If Baz had a great year in Moto America, he was going to a Ducati team possibly over there. Um and maybe it'll be the kind of the same thing for Petrucci. Now, the thing that was funny is that last year, I think Loris came over a little bit earlier because he was going and riding a lot of these racetracks. And it'll be interesting to see if Petrucci... Yeah, I want to say it was like the beginning of February, maybe? something like Yeah, that. because I remember seeing his social media that he was out riding here or he was out riding there. And he was just trying to you know get used to some of the places that we went. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Petrucci takes that same approach where when he... He'll get over here in March, whenever, and and try to go. Got to remember the first race of the year for him is Coda. He's been to Coda, so that'll be it. That'll be an easy enough one for him, right, Greg? I mean, he knows that place. Yeah. Plus, plus, we're going to the all the tracks we went to last year. Are what we're going to this year. Yeah. And so they at least have one year of data as well. Correct. And Ducati's smart enough to know if they make changes to the bike in in one way or another, whether. You know, I don't know. They put a swing arm on it, or now they've been able to get the VP fuel dialed in, or whatever it is. Yeah, they can do mathematical calculations. To Petrucci should show up and have like really close maps, really good close gear ratios. They probably can predict the difference in in how Danilo likes a bike setup versus what Baz does. Yeah, so they're going to be a lot closer. Which which is the problem that Baz had. He would go out in the first session and he would do every minute of the entire session for a lot of reasons, right? One, to learn the track himself. Second, though, to get as much data as he possibly could for the engineers to look at. Oh, yeah. Loris so was scared to do laps, have to was do he? do that. Yeah. No. He, he's, but here's the one thing I do like about the interview that Petrucci did. The interviewer asked him towards the end of the interview, like, do you ever find yourself back in MotoGP? Is this a step to get back in MotoGP? And Petrucci said, nope. You know, I'm done in MotoGP. And he, and he said, look. The size that I am and the weight that I am, it just doesn't make any sense for me to be on a GP bike, you know? And so he's like, that chapter of my career is over. And that's the bit that I like. Whether he's looking forward to World Superbike or not, I don't know, Jay, because he thought he would he would never be back on a road race bike again. He had no idea this opportunity was going to creep up. And he's really looking forward to kind of coming here. I'm not sure that we're going to see Danilo go back and forth much. It kind of yeah. sounded like he wants to come to the States live here, experience it for, you know, for the duration of the time he's here. He may go back to Italy once or twice, who knows, but I'm sure he's yeah, got the that year, mindset. Yeah. Like, I can't wait to be in the States. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah. So it's great. That'd be pretty cool. Um, in another, in another bit of news coming out of the Sepang test, um, Mario Marigali, who is the, um, or Mayo Marigali, who is the, like the team boss for the Yamaha MotoGP team was talking about top rack yep. and, that he was being asked about Top Rack and him testing the MotoGP bike. And what we learned from that was, is that there was a test that was scheduled for Top Rack at the end of the season. But when World Superbike added that last race of the year, uh, that, that whole thing got canceled. So right now they're looking at August or June and they've both got to kind of sync up their calendars and figure out which one. It kind of sounded like there was a possibility that they would test Top Rack in August on that bike. I think, Everybody's looking forward to seeing what Top Rack's going to do on the M1. What do you think? I, 
I mean, I think everybody's excited about it. Um, it could really create pathway for guys from World Superbike, too. We're so used to seeing MotoGP guys like Petrucci, like Batista, like Redding. All these guys come from MotoGP, and once they've been exiled, they've come to World Superbike, it seems. Um, I think, with the exception of Petrucci, the other guys wanted to figure out a way to get back into MotoGP, and it's really hard to get back there once you leave. If there was a pathway from World Superbike to MotoGP, that would be really interesting because you have to kind of agree, Greg, in a way, I guess, um, that there has been enough proof that kids can go from Moto2 to MotoGP and be successful. So there's a there's a channel already there, and I think that if you were to create another one with World Superbike guys being able to get an opportunity to at least ride a bike um, like like Top Rack's going to get the chance to. But that said too, I think Top Rack's a bit of an anomaly. He's he's a special case. He's, he's young and he's vibrant and he's got personality and he's got a lot of things going for him as well as being just a tremendous talent on a motorcycle. So he could be that little needle in the haystack of World Superbike. And you know, of course, we talk about Johnny. Johnny just never got the opportunity. But you know, having him on the podcast and talking to him at 34 years old or whatever Johnny is now, he realizes that that door is kind of closed, isn't it? Um, but it would have been great to see him get the opportunity because um, he was kind of that special case too. Full time, right? remember? Yeah. He got a couple, yeah, with Honda, he on got a Honda couple back in the day. He did yeah. really well, but it never just kind of took off. Yeah. But you got to think if a guy came into world from World Superbike right this second went out and finished seventh in a MotoGP race, which is where I believe Johnny finished. I, I'd have to go back and look. Um, or somewhere in that regard. It, you would think that that would get, whoa, that's pretty impressive first time out type of thing. And, and you know, so, but top, it's exciting. It's an exciting idea. It's who would be getting moved. You know, that's the thing. I think that there's going to be a lot of eyes this year on, on Morbidelli. And there's going to be a lot of eyes this year on Dovey, both Yamaha guys, that they would potentially consider moving. Um, if they had to, right? So um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, it's there was a lot of stuff coming out of Sepang. If you if you went to MotoGP.com and you have the the video pass or whatever, there's a lot of interviews and a lot of the 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 interviewer always asks like, all right, so 2022 we expect a lot of contracts to be up and you know all that kind of stuff. And Paolo Chibati from uh, from Ducati was like, look, we're not even really going to talk about that until probably April or May. So the reality is there's tons of seats that are available. Yeah. Top Rack has hinted that he wants to go to MotoGP. He knew he had a two-year contract. These factories don't do things one year at a time. I mean, they're planning out five years ahead, so they yeah. kind of have an idea. Dovey, as much as I like the Dovey hire in a way, it seems like Dovey's more of a placeholder for Yamaha at this point. I agree. I don't um, even. I, I honestly didn't career. understand. I didn't understand the hire. And there's a few of those I think I could say that in MotoGP, but then I got to keep on checking myself because I got to remember that when Quattararo came from Moto2 to MotoGP, I was like, huh, like, huh. But again, when you start talking about the test this week and the guys that were on top and you look at some of these young guys um, that have got some updated machinery now, they're they're doing the business. Well, that's a good transition. So. Yeah. As we wrap up our news presented by Arai, let's transition into the next topic then, Jay. <clears throat> yeah, let's talk about some MotoGP, Greg, because um, 
Uh, the link you sent me, by the way, didn't work. So just letting you know that now. Um, no, I know. They actually changed it. for Because like, I, I went back to that link and overnight they totally changed like their results page. Yeah. And now you have to like go to results and then you look up top and there's a there's a it says GP results and to the right it says test results. Got and it. And you have to click on that and that'll give you exactly where the, the last test. Anyway, the results for Sepang MotoGP official test. Yeah, if you want to if you want to read them, but I you know looking at the stuff that I saw, um, it kind of it, you know when you look at the 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 you know looking at some of the notes that you made about Honda's new RCA two thirteen V that Marquez's style is different. Rookies were fast. I mean, great. The Aprilia was impressive, wasn't it? I mean, when you look at what they've done, and Alay seems super happy about things. Um, I read, uh, oh, you have it in your notes too. I did read they had some issues possibly with the chassis, but the thing was fast. It was a rocket ship. And it seems like him and uh, Vinales both were closer kind of consistently than they had been in the past. Um, You know, I I think Bastianini and Jorge Martin were, were big Big deals for Ducati as well. So I'll let you go into giving us the lap times if you have them. Do you have them? In, do you have them in front of you? I do. Yeah. So yeah. in terms of at the end of the test, at the end of the day, it was Anea Bastianini who did a fifty-eight-one-three-one, which is a track record there. Impressive. So you man. remember Bastianini was on the two thousand nineteen yeah. Ducati, so now he's got updated gear. Alicia Spargo was second. These are just outright lap times. Yeah. So yeah. Alicia Spargo was second. Then it was Jorge Martin who continues to impress. Yeah. But Jay, this is really the biggest news of all: is Alex Rins was in was in fourth place. Yeah. And and he was only a tenth of a second off. Then you have Vinales, then Quateraro, the first of the Yamahas, and the only Yamaha, by the way in the top 10. Then Mark Marquez on that completely redesigned Repsol Honda. We'll talk about that in a second. Yep. Then you have Zarco, Polis Bargaro, Luca Marini, Joan Mir in 12th. Not totally, not, not the end of the story for him, by the way. Nakagami in 13th, Miller in 14th. That was a bit of a surprise for a lot of people. Miguel Oliveira, Bedzecki. And then you get down into the order, you know, you have some of the rookies in there, like Remy Gardner was 23rd, but remember his wrist is hurt. Yep. Morbidelli back down in 24th. Darren Bender in 25th, but he's also a rookie. You know, and and some of the test riders like Crutchlow were quicker than some of the regulars. Yeah, it's Not- which is crazy to me. The Morbidelli thing seems really, you know, he had a great year a couple years ago. Then he had the knee injury. He was out most of the year last year. And it's like, it's a little bit scary for me because I really like Morbidelli. But, you know, he's been drafted up to the factory bike now. And you got to think, it almost gives you the feeling, and I don't want this. I want him to have a great year. But it's almost like he's kind of like what you said Dovey was. He's almost like a little bit of a war- keep the seat warm for top rack. I hope I'm wrong. I want Morbidelli to succeed. I want him to be amazing. But with only one Yamaha in the top 10 of that, that, that test, and that's the world champ, and the other Yamahas languishing in the back, oh, man, I just don't know. I, I don't know what to expect there. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so if you're on Twitter and there's a guy, Chris Pike, who is, uh, he, he likes to post up um, a bunch of spreadsheets. He loves number crunching, okay? And so he posted up uh, spreadsheets that have basically four tables of information on it, one from day one, one from day two. I'm just going to focus on day two. So Jay, you know, from working with, uh, you know, that one time that you were at Ducati or whatever and, and working with, who was it, Jim Leonard, I think, as a crew chief yeah, at the time. Yeah. 
You know, um, looking at people's average lap times is a really good way to predict race results. Yeah. You know, because ultimately when riders, you, you throw away those in and out laps or whatever, but you see how fast they go. Yeah. And what was surprising after day two is the rider who had the best average lap time at a 58.8 was Alex Rins. Amazing. Alex Rins goes 58.8 for his average lap time. Then Jorge Martin was right there. These are all like half of a tenth of a second, you know, 0. 0.049. Yeah, yeah. Bastianini, and the fourth quickest for average lap time was actually Joan Mir. And then you have Alicia Spargaro and Vinales on the Aprilias. Quadraro in seventh, kind of right where he was. But, you know, having just two Ducatis at those average lap times is pretty impressive. Now, here's a really telling sign. He also has average top speeds. So the good thing about an average top speed is, is that, you know, if you just take one top speed, you don't know if they had a double bike draft or a triple bike draft Correct. or whatever it is. So getting average. So the average w is exactly what you'd expect is Johan Zarco, who just has a way of getting getting fast. Second fastest average top speed was Jack Miller. They're only not even half a kilometer off. Yeah. Third fastest is Vinales, dude. Yeah, that's why I'm saying the ability was quick. It's fast. Then you have Betzeki and... Uh, Peko Bagnaya, right, yep. in fourth and fifth, then an Aprilia again. But here's what's really interesting. The seventh fastest bike on the grid that beat one, two, three, four, five Ducatis, beat all the Hondas, all that kind of stuff, Joan Mir on a Suzuki. Yeah. His average top speed was only 1.6 kilometers off of Johan Zarco, who we know is like really fast for some reason on top speed. And Alex Rins was only in seventh place, 1.9 down. So only 3.3 kilometers separate him. If you look at that, you've got to say to yourself, wait a second, Suzuki made a huge jump. Now, you can't say this day and age that it's a huge jump in motor performance because it also could be aerodynamics. But it definitely they made huge jumps in either or both engine or aerodynamics. And that is, that's leaving Yamaha in the dust right now, dude, because... If you look at average top speeds, and again, it's not always lap times, but it is a sign of acceleration. Quateraro was 16th. Uh, I was going to bring that up. It's the Yamaha, first Yamaha, 16th, and then 22nd, 23rd, and 24th are the other four Yamahas. Dead last. Dude. Yeah. What is so, up? So, so this, to me, what this tells me, kind of, you know, you don't want to jump to too many conclusions. But if it looks like the Yamaha is going to be like this again, I think that everybody has made a step. And it just looks like the Yamaha has not. Now, maybe it has. We don't know. But by these, by what you're showing that Chris put together here, man, this is where the coming season is going to be interesting as far as these guys maybe moving around, like jumping around. Um, uh, well, it's, it's not. It's I mean, not like Yamaha is going to come out with a surprise at the no. first round of the series no. because, and they're and by the way, they're testing again this weekend. I think they start testing on Saturday, right? It's Wednesday. They're in Indonesia already. now, right? They're in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, Mandalika, right? So yeah, they're all the excited about being that, there. Yeah, it looks nice. Nobody said that they had any time between rounds to get new parts, like the parts that they have for the Sepang round and for the Indonesia or test Sepang test and and the Mandalika test. It's just they are what they have. The thing is, is going to a second track is confirmation of the things that they learn at Sepang because Sepang is a great place to test, but yeah. it doesn't have everything. So going to a second track. And it's been a couple so, of years since they've been to Sepang too, hadn't it, because of COVID? 
Yeah, yeah I think it's a couple of guys sense. were talking yeah. about how it was nice to be back out there and and so on. So, but I think when you, I think that when we get to this next track, got to remember Sepang's a place that they tested a ton at. Um, I really look at this next track that they're going to in Indonesia. <clears throat> it's going to be a Yamaha Suzuki type of place. I think that the Ducati doesn't have any weaknesses. The Ducati to me is the best bike on the grid. But this will be a place I think where the Suzukis and the Yamaha will be really good at Indonesia um, because of the flow, the way it flows. Um, doesn't really have, you know, by our standards of watching the TV and things, it doesn't have a lot of big straightaways. The front straightaway there is pretty long, but after that, there's a lot of left rights, left rights, left rights. So I think it's going to be a very interesting track on a MotoGP bike. I think that that first test, though, I really do believe that if you look at it, a couple of the rookies uh, did okay, but Bastianini has proven that he's kind of that quiet guy, isn't he? He did some really good rides last year, but then I think that the second news is the, how good the Aprilia was, but we've kind of seen this before. But I, again, I think it's really promising for the Suzukis. I think the Suzukis look great. And can, and they and you see how much credit that people within that team continuously on Twitter give Gintley. So it's great seeing him. What a great role that he has in that team. And he and he went fastest that he's ever gone around that track too. Yeah, like fifty nine so, something, didn't he? So that's good. Yeah, I it's think great. Fifty nine eight or something yeah. like that. So you gotta you gotta sit there and you go, hmm, okay. Aprilia has definitely made a step. Yeah. Uh, the question is. Which direction will the riders take him? The one thing that Alicia Spargaro said in his interview post-test uh, was that the best news is that he and Maverick and Salvadori are all saying the same. They're all giving the same feedback. And so that is, a uni- when you have that uniform message and you give the engineers a clear direction to go, that is actually huge. That's great. So like we were saying, like you kind of mentioned it earlier, Alicia did say that he does have some questions still about this new chassis versus the old chassis and they're going to kind of confirm things up and this is why this mandalika test is going to be so important for aprilia but definitely it looks great so obviously we know the ducati has made some changes jason they have an updated motor which um uh you know some of the riders have said that it's more power delivery than it is power yeah you know just kind of the way and so it's it's a little bit different jorge martin was like i'm really kind of struggling getting used to it although his lap times don't don't say that um, but then the biggest thing I think that people are really latching onto is, is their, the squat device, you know? So now when they hit the button, it's been that the rear has squatted and now it looks like the front end squatting as well. And when the riders were asked about it, they were like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, whatever. I just hit the button like I did last year and everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. But the, the big deal is what people don't realize oftentimes with MotoGP bikes, and this is the same as it was with Bridgestone's. And I've mentioned this before, a MotoGP bike back in the Bridgestone days was about four inches longer than a, a, an AMA Superbike, you know? And yep. the whole reason is because you're just trying to control the wheelie. It's, it's first and foremost about keeping the bike down. And so what a squatting device does is it allows the bike to, to lengthen out. It lowers the center of gravity, which makes it harder for the bike to wheelie. Yep. There's just a lot of advantages to it. Once you get to the apex of the corner and you start accelerating out, and then they squat the bike. So, And it's it has to be manual, Jay. It can't be an automatic thing in terms of the rules. There has to be a button. And we know last year, towards the end of the year, Jack Miller talked about making a mistake coming out of one of the corners and forgot to hit the thing, and oh. the bike wanted to go to the moon, right? I bet. So Ducati continues to innovate on that front. 
So we all got that. But the biggest news, Jason, and you, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of the new, I don't even know what you'd call it, shark-looking Honda. Honda yeah, it looks redone, good. Yeah. It looks great. They've redone the aero, they've redone the chassis, and they've redone the motor. And in an interview with the main guy at HRC, they basically said, look, we've done two years of studies we normally don't get to do, okay? Because of COVID, because of development freeze, we got to spend more time. We have not altered the horsepower necessarily. I mean, I'm sure they got one or two like they always do. Yep. But we've altered the delivery. We've altered the position of the engine inside the frame and obviously the frame on how they do things. And it's the big deal is the problem it's supposed to solve is, and this is the one thing that people don't realize, is the new Michelin rear tire. Jason, you've been around this sport a long time. Road racing is unique from any other motorsports in the sense that these motorcycles are literally developed from tires up, aren't they? It's incredible. Yeah, and you know the fact that they keep on going over, they keep getting better. Tires blow me away. I'm just riding along on the Q4s right now, and I just get blown away by how good they are all the time. And you could put them on, I could put them on like I had a, I had a stock thousand, you know, ZX10 up till this year. That was. There was a, a good bike, and I I would throw Q4s on that thing every now and then, and the times you could do on those things are insane. Now, you also got to think that with even like with Dunlop going over there to uh, to Portimao, you know, they're they're, at a, they're essentially at a Pirelli test, right, working on this bike. So yeah, yeah. It'll, be, it'll be interesting to see because there's direct comparisons and this and that. Those guys, man, they're so knowledgeable, and they're, they're so good at, Trying to figure out what competitions do, and yeah, it's tires are in, incredible. But you always hear, and make no mistake, yeah, you always hear them say, Greg, at the beginning of the year, like last year, they were talking about how, well, you remember with Dovey two years ago, the tires they were developed around the Yamaha, and he couldn't make them work, and and you have that problem too. Once these tires are homologated, right, that there's a there's a certain number of tires that these guys are going to be allowed to run. So sometimes you kind of get that that. What's the word I'm looking for? There's favoritism, but not on purpose. You know, like there'll be a tire developed and it's like, wow, it just seems like it works better on that bike than this bike. Or for this rider than that rider. Like you mm-hmm. remember when, when the new tire came out for Supersport and Garrett Gerloff all of a sudden stomped JD Beach the rest of the year. Sorry, JD. I know you're listening to this when you're on a bicycle ride. Yeah. <laughs> just extra motivation for JD. No, but it's true though, because, and that was something that JD was even coming out and saying that, man... I just haven't been able to get my head around this tire, and it can show the differences in the way guys ride as well. You know, riding differences, um, how guys look at doing things on their bikes as far as setup goes or gearing or any of that stuff. It can, it you're exactly right. It can come straight from what the tire feedback is giving you. So what Honda, the biggest thing they're trying to solve is is the rear grip issue. Now, you know, Jay, I would I would argue and say that Honda's probably the most conservative manufacturer when it comes to changes. I mean, you may argue that Yamaha's the same way, but they're very conservative. And so us seeing such a huge departure in terms of the philosophy, which which they're if you've ever worked in a corporation, especially a Japanese corporation, there's always like themes that they have. And this one is like like breaking out of your shell is the theme for this year's kind of MotoGP campaign. Um, and part of the reason that we see 
the big jump in terms of evolution is because we haven't had two years. You know, the point was made like, had we had normal evolution, you would see more subtle changes over the course of the year, and they probably would be where they are now. But, yeah. <laughs> but because everything was kind of frozen in development with COVID, that we're seeing a big change. Nonetheless, the one thing that I do want to talk to you about, because it really hits home for you and I, is did you see the video that MotoGP posted that was a comparison of Mark Marquez on the 2022 bike to like the bike from last year or the bike two years ago? I, like in I the didn't same see series it, Greg. No, I didn't see that. The one thing that's interesting is, and I, you know, and I know that Mark Mar Marquez might not be 100% healthy. Yeah. But if you look at the way he rides this new bike, he is not hanging off nearly as much as he used to. He is, is that a right? lot. Yeah. And I mean, I'm talking couple inches but yeah but that's all it I, takes for those guys you know right it, but to you and i just the like it, it, there and it has to be a feel thing for mark but i'll i'll send you the link and if you take yeah. a look at it jay i know you're going to see the same thing that i see and his body position looks a lot more centered it's less of the bent elbow and the hold on like a screwdriver type of situation. And he's a little bit more centered on the bike, a little bit more in a line with the bike. Yeah. And I think that that might have a lot to do with the turning characteristics of the Honda being much improved, you know, where he doesn't have to use as much of his body to try to influence the turn. It, it loads the tires Honda, differently. But, goes kind of back to what you said, though. If there are changes that they've made within the chassis, that's going to, you're going to feel that feedback through the tires, right? And I think that, I think all these riders, they want to do, they want to be as efficient as they can on the bike. They're going to do as as little as they can to get the most out of the machine that they can get. So maybe with the difference in chassis that they've done and with the new tire, you know, it might have made it to where he can change some things in his riding uh, to make himself maybe a little bit better. You got to remember, this guy's had some pretty big arm issues the last two years, shoulder surgeries, um, arm, you know, uh, that he broke. So you got to really start to think that the less less will be more for him on the bike if 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 the chassis and if the tires allow him to to ride with a little less uh, to where he can risk. conserve a little bit more injury, maybe yeah. have a little less risk that kind of thing. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that rolls along as well. I'm trying to think if we missed anything to talk about in this test. I mean, we covered Ducati, we covered Suzuki. Aprilia, Yamaha's kind of a thing. Well, I've you, been I think, I've been horrible, Greg, because I haven't been able to keep up on stuff the way I had. I I've been so buried with different work projects lately that I just haven't been able to to get on and look at it as much as I'd like to. Like even with the World Superbike stuff today that I know we're going to talk about next. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you debriefed me on it this morning, and when I got back and had my breakfast, I was reading a little bit about it. But but uh, it's a little bit on my bad. Yeah, I haven't been, I, I got been back able to from stay Vegas on top and, of it. I got back from Vegas, had a little bit more time. I mean, the only team we didn't talk about right now is is the Red Bull K, KTM, you know, or just the KTM, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't really mention them. They didn't set the world on fire, but I there was an interview with Remy Garner after he was able to test. And I mean, he he did like a couple he, hundred laps. He's injured, was, though, too, isn't he? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, he I, I don't really look at his time. But Jay, what was really interesting was that he said that what he wants to do is he keeps backing out of the electronics. He keeps getting less and less. Now, keep in mind, other than engine braking, Moto2 bikes don't really have anything in the electronics area. Yeah. He comes from old school. Obviously, his dad didn't ride any electronics, that type of stuff, you know? So he's backing it up, backing it up, I guess, during the course of the test, did Remy Garner on this bike, and he was going quicker and quicker and liked it. 
And he had a conversation with Danny Pedroza, and Danny told him that they actually test this bike occasionally with the electronics off, completely off, and that Remy really wants to try it once he's healthy. And the reason they do that is because they want to see if electronics, with all the electronics, if it's masking some of the issues that they would have with the fundamental setup of the motorcycle. And in the interview, Remy said that Pedroza said, you should definitely try it. You got you to gotta mind the throttle, you know, like you would on any other bike. Yeah, of course. But he said, give it a try. And Jay, that's the first time I'd actually heard a comment like that in a number of years. And and it's it's very interesting in terms of, again, how Austrians and the KTM team is going to approach it at, you know, say compared to like Ducati and compared to the Japanese manufacturers. It's, it's, what do you think about that comment? Like, Hey, you should ride a MotoGP bike without any electronics to see how it goes. Do you remember when uh, Jack Miller came from Moto3 and they put him on that LCR Honda and they turned all the electronics off? They said, we want you to go learn how to ride the bike. And I remember that sticking in my brain so well because when you take somebody and they're coming from where these guys have come from, it's almost a way of getting them in my my feel is, all right, we're going to take all the stuff off it. So you're a little intimidated by the bike. You're going to have to be because you know the power that these things put her out. So then you become a lot more one-to-one in the sense of, you know, what you're doing with this is really going to um, be magnified at that rear wheel. Um, and I think that it would be really interesting to – to see what these guys could do on a MotoGP bike with no electronics, like what, like ride it to the limit and see how close their lap times would be to where they're actually at. Nobody would ever really want to do that test, I don't think. But, but <laughs> do I, you want to I, ride Gagne's bike? Do you want to have Stamboli turn off everything yeah. on Gagne's superbike? <laughs> I mean, yeah, even that. I mean, you could just imagine what, and, and then you got to imagine what these guys are dealing with because yeah, the other thing 60, too, though, Greg, the thing, the thing I'd be really interested in talking to an engineer about would be. How much does turning off the electronics screw up how the chassis is going to work? These chassis are built around the electronics working. You know, these motorcycles are, are built around the electronics controlling certain aspects in certain parts of the corner. So that's what these bikes are built around. So you take the electronics away from that. How much does that change the dynamic of the motorcycle now? So it might not even work the same. It might not. It might be like a completely different deal. So, the fact that Pedrosa does that, I think, is good in one regard. If you're a data guy, Greg, and you're, if let's say you're my data guy, and and I go out and I ride the bike the way it sits, um, we're happy with it. All right, Greg, let's turn the electronics off, and you could see the subtle differences in where the bike might be better without electronics or with electronics. Be it, but you'd have. You'd have laps that you could overlay and look at things and see if there's anything that you're missing by having the electronics working in a spot that they're not working that could that could improve the performance of the bike. So that's the reason why Pedrosa is doing that. And the guy's got so much experience. Um, but yeah, KTM was, KTM was pretty quiet towards the end of the last year and they're pretty quiet at the first test. So you wonder if they're in a, I don't know if you want to call it a rebuilding phase, but... They've got two new guys on the bikes, don't they, this year with uh, with Fernandez and and uh, Gardner. So I just think I think that uh, you know they'll they'll get their stuff together. I hope. I think so. I think it's going to take maybe half a season, and they'll continue to develop and go in the direction they're going to. But yeah, I think yeah, good. it and seems then, it. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I was going to wrap that up, but go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say it seems that uh, you know if you want to wrap that up, you can. I, I was going to start talking about World Superbike because it seems like we've kind of picked up right where we left off. Uh, these guys left Indonesia last year, locking horns. Um, there's a huge like rivalry respect, I think. And now Batista, exactly what everybody thought was going to happen, has thrown himself into the mix. When you look at the end of the day, Greg, uh, Rizgatioglu and Johnny Ray both lapped in the minute 39s at Portimao for the first time um, ever at Portimao. So, you know, this is where you've got to start to question things. Um, we know Kawasaki had to make some 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 changes. We You could see it. Anybody that couldn't see that last year are turning a blind eye and, and just thinking that it was an excuse and it wasn't. The Cowie was definitely the underperforming bike of the three up the front last year between the Yamaha and the Ducati. So now they've now they've done some stuff. They've done some testing. They've had some chassis bits, electronics, that kind of thing that they've been testing. The Kawasaki's made an improvement, but it looks to me, Greg, as, as if the Yamaha has as well. Both riders lapping under thirty um, underneath the minute forty bracket. Just off of those, though, Greg, is Batista, who also has been talking about, uh, I believe, a different swing arm and chassis stuff on that Ducati from what he'd had before. Yeah, so different to, different swing arm and, and yep. like a narrower tank as well. Narrower tank as well. And, and you know, 39.6, 39.8 for Rizgatioglu and Johnny Ray, 40 flat for Batista. Um, then we had Alex Lowe's today at 40.3 with Locatelli behind. Philip Odell behind him, which, again, Greg, Rinaldi 7th behind Odell. Odell's Superbike rookie this year with the Go 11 team. Most will remember him from, or that team from where Baz ended up last year. I, it's you know I don't think Ronaldo's going to want to have that very much in front of him all year long. As well as Bassani will be back as well. What's your uh, what's your overall take so far of these superbike tests that we've been that we've seen a little bit? Some of the guys have been at Jerez as well, um, and we, of course this test we were missing BMW, we were missing Honda. Uh, they weren't at this test in Portugal. The other Yamaha team, Gerloff. Yeah, like Gerloff's G Y G Y G G Y T team. I always get that messed up. Yeah. Did you see anyway. the post that Garrett posted of him yelling on top of a mountain the other day? No. It's no, great. Uh, yeah, he, he, from cycling and 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 then Redding's been out here in California racing his bicycle. He's thirty minutes from me. Dude, I so, know he 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 finished second in the Criterium race the other day to. To an absolute bicycling, like a cycling stud, and yeah, and you know, as you know, I'm I'm you know involved in Texas Roadhouse cycling, and so I live in that world too. And all these, are you still like, involved in that? You're still doing mm-hmm. some of that? Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Yep, yeah, yeah. yep. So no, he's has. he's the real deal. I mean, but those guys weren't there, and I just, I, what do you think right now? I got a couple questions for you. I mean, we knew Batista's been racing against Ray, and um, he's been racing against Ray and Resgatiaglu, anyways, but. The fact that Batista is third does that does that play any psychological pattern with him? You think at all? Because I mean, last time he was on this Ducati, he was dominating. I mean, I don't think so just yet. I think yeah. that he, there's still a little bit of wiggle room in the. I'm just getting used to the bike again because I spent two years on a completely different ride. So I, I don't I don't necessarily think so. Plus, we don't know all the bits and bobs and things that they tested. We what we don't know too is is the tire allocation because they didn't have like unlimited tires. So if Toprak and Johnny had saved tires to the end, we, what we do know about this test is that it was perfect weather for two days, right? Yep. So, I mean, well, I should say that it got really windy, I guess, in the afternoon yesterday. I haven't heard any 
uh, post-test interviews from today. But I mean, for the most part, the temperature was good. The sun was shining. Like they didn't have any issues like they did at Sepang test where a lot of the riders were going to schedule for a time attack in the afternoon on the second day. Yeah. And the rain came and thwarted everybody's deal. So I don't know for, for, for Bautista at this point, I think you say, look, you're in the mix because we don't know if these guys put on a soft tire time attack. What I do know is that right around noon, uh, 12 30 ish local time is when Johnny Ray went out and did his 39.851. And then about, because I was watching timing and scoring today, about three hours later, Top Rack went out and did like a 39.7, I think. Yep. And then it was right at the end of the day when he did a 39.616 to be two-tenths of a second head. So for all I know, it could have been those testing mind games, which you know get played. You have a soft tire. Maybe the tire, that new qualifying tire was used. I don't know yet because I haven't really read all the reports. So the Bautista thing, I think he's right in the mix. I think it depends how hard he was riding, if he got to ride around anybody. So Pang's a pretty big circuit, right? I'm pretty it sure. Is. Yeah, so sometimes you could test and not see anybody. I know that Philip Odell went faster than Michael Rubin Ronaldo. But these guys, they're at Portimao, right? <clears throat> I'm sorry, said, Portimao, yeah. Sorry, Sepang, Portimao. I knew what you were talking no, about. Yeah. I meant Portimao, yeah. Uh, the ups and downs and all that kind of stuff. But I know that Odell, who went P6, you know, just behind Locatelli, a um, yep. couple tenths, he did that like, I, I think there were probably five minutes left in the day. You yep. know what I mean? He went out there and did it. Most people at that point were in the pits and parked. So I, I can tell you this from, from the interview that I saw with Johnny, from the information that I'm reading about Kawasaki, I think the biggest deal was the thing that we talked about but didn't harp on last year with the Cowie is the fact that the FIM rules came out very late in terms of how they pick or in terms of RPM. They'd already picked their transmission last year and then they got cut 500 RPM or whatever it was, 350 RPM lower than they thought and that messed with the transmission ratios all year long yeah so the bulk of the work for johnny and his team was obviously all these different pieces but the biggest thing was what transmission are we going to go to because unlike moto america if you're familiar you have to use the stock transmission in moto america that's the petrucci bike what he was testing on uh, in world superbike you you have the ability to choose basically any transmission that you'd like but once you choose it, you have to stick with that transmission for the rest of the year. Yep. So that's kind of the that's the biggest uh, the biggest difference in that. So for those guys, I think it's important. If you look at some of the top speeds, they were close to the Yamaha. Yep. And I don't think the motor's any different. The bike's the same as it was last year, with the exception of them picking those transmission ratios. And of course, they have all the data that they need to understand. You know. I mean, they've had programs, Jay, in the 2000s, like a spreadsheet. You could you could say, I want 400 RPM here. I remember with, yeah. with Honda and HRC, you could, you know, uh, Al Luddington, you could go, I, I want 300 RPM more here. And they type it in and it would spit out, okay, this is the the sprockets that you need to use. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. So it's a little different. And I think, couldn't we change? Oh, my could gosh. Dude, when, I wrote, when I wrote for Yosh... We could you change would transmission ride on, ratios. You would ride right. on Friday, and you would change the internals. Yeah, yeah. yeah you and you'd have like a gear. oh, it was a nightmare, especially for a, a kind of a rookie kid like me on a superbike. And you know, you had you so your your transmissions would be you had four different first gears, and you know they were all they were all like numbered A B C D, right? So you so they'd be like oh you've and then second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth gears all had that same A, B, C, D. So you'd be like, oh, what gear do you want? You want B, B, C, A, D. And it was like, oh, my gosh. And I 
I remember just sitting there at times and just going like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is all way too, it, you know, for me, it was too much at the time because I probably didn't have all the people in place that could really, really teach me and show me exactly what was going on. It was very, it was just overwhelming, I think. So, man, glad that they don't have to do that anymore. Seriously, yeah. At least they get to pick their ratios. And, and that's one of those factory advantages I think that they wanted to try to take away. Yeah. Because my, my guess is is that if the factory figures it out and you have a supported team, they're gonna they're just gonna give the information to everyone else. You know, I'm actually so, getting I'm actually getting you know, you might have noticed I'm 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 like this at the moment. Uh I'm I'm actually getting some uh some test stuff right now on my phone from the test at World Superbike. Oh really? Yeah, that's why I'm. That's why I'm looking down and I'm texting people back. But I'll, we'll talk about it next week. The stuff that I'm being told, as long as it's okay, okay that I can tell. You know what I mean? But it yeah, just, yeah, of it course. Just so it just so happened that I was I was literally at this moment getting some information about the tests and uh, and that kind of thing. So I'll tell you a quick one, real real funny one, uh, just quickly. Yesterday, Greg, I was I got to the golf course and cart sixty five was sitting there staring at me. So. I threw my bag on cart 65 and I thought, ah, as a joke, I'll throw a little picture to Johnny, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got back to me within like 10 minutes, you know? Like, I, I, I you See, know, I the guy's over there testing I, I, in Portimao and, and I'm laughing because I'm like, ah, probably shouldn't bug it. But I do the same thing with Alex every now and I'll get cart 22 or something, you know? And I, I snap a photo of cart 65 and he's like, oh, JP, I hope it brings you some luck type of thing. And yeah, just, Solid. Just I, I, I great shot guy, on I, one of the great bales I guy. shot on this weekend was bale sixty five. I should have. Did you have thought about it? Yeah. Although no, at least he he golfs. He would have looked at archery and been like, "What? Why are you sending me this?" Yeah. No. No. It's it's good. I'll do. And it's not just with those guys. I mean, there's a time uh, even like six months ago, I got cart seventeen. So I shot Miguel on a quick little. You know, it's it's just funny. You know how the numbers thing always works. But um, and I think that our boy Steve English would probably be able to give us. Quite a bit of information as well. Yeah, I forget. There's some guy over there that does. Yeah, we haven't talked about. He's got to be feeling like I've just let him down. He's easy. He's, he's texted me, and I've just. I got to get back with old Stevie. Dude, get on the gas, please. I know it's been a rough couple of days, but refocus, oh, son. It's been a refocus. rough year. It's just been a rough year. Well, for speaking me. of speaking Anyways. of rough years, let's. Yeah. Let, that's a perfect segue for me into Supercross because. Oh. Number one, I, I didn't get to see the races. I only got to see the highlights of the races because yeah. I was working. And because you're not much of a friend, you didn't... Stop. <laughs> I got me? my stuff in literally five minutes before. I did not get... I got a big, fat goose egg this week yeah. in Pulp MX Fantasy. Yeah. But, but let's talk about Supercross. It sucks. Do you have it pulled up or do you, I have it pulled up if you need to? Uh, yeah, put, go ahead and do it. I, I'm looking... I got the Pulp stuff pulled up. All right. So, so in... The ra- this was this was their triple crown race. So this yeah. is where they do like three. I think they're ten minutes plus a lap or whatever it is. Ten minutes plus two lap races. They were in Glendale and Eli Tomac goes one one three uh, for the win. And basically, what they do is whatever point you finish, you add them up. The person with the lowest score. So total, it's like, obviously, it's like motos. It's just like their it, outdoor motocross, like, yeah. but it, there's three instead of two. Yeah, exactly. So Eli Tomac ends up, you know, total five points. And dude. Congratulations to Malcolm Stewart. He goes P2. He gets a three, a second, and a fourth finish. Chase Sexton goes 11-3-1 for third place. Yeah. It was that initial deal. Then you have Jason Anderson, Kenny Roxon, Justin Barsha, sixth, Marvin Muskan, Cooper Webb. Cooper, Cooper Webb. Cooper Webb. Eight, 
885. Yeah. Unreal. And Roxon too. To be honest with you, it like everybody roots for Kenny and I do too, but it just doesn't does it, it just seems like he gets pushed around out there. Like just gets pushed around. People just push Kenny bit. around. It, yeah. And it's you know, it just is what it is and it sucks, but it's uh but his teammate Sexton is the real deal. Like guys the real deal. Um Tomac though looks all those guys. I mean, Anderson was fast, had that, you know, this is where those three moto things come into play in the sense of the consistency that you have to win a championship. And dude, Tomac's getting off the line now. These guys got to be really scared because that has always been his MO. Can you get the bike off the off the line? And he's figured it out. And like you do look at somebody like Dylan Ferrandez who looks like he has speed. He can't get the thing off the line. You can't keep coming from 10th, 12th, 13th, 14th and and do something and you just and win, right? You can't do it. So can't do it. It's really difficult. Those guys are back at Anaheim this weekend. And uh, you know, as far as the pulp league, the Greg's Garage Pod um league now, Greg, Hucklebuck Racing is up at the top. Um it's like kind of familiar faces again, I think, up there. El Cap is second. Our boy Chuck drops back to third. Let's go, Brandon, up to fourth. Pixie sixty nine thirty two. So when you look at it, there's been some some guys this last week. Greg got some really gnarly bad totals. Uh, Nick Siling, my boy, he only got one hundred and seventy four this last week. So he is tenth. Um, yeah, even our boy VR Dougie. Dougie only got 151 points this last week. He was up in our top five. He's 20th. Uncle Skip drops back to 22nd. I I moved up a little bit. Um, I had my best week of the year, and I didn't even do that good. So there you go. Well, yeah, in the in the little side league that we have going on. Yeah. Right? The Uncle Skip League. Yeah. You, you haven't even won one yet, which warms I stink. my heart. Oh, no. You've only got one yeah. more than me. I got time. And Chuck beat me by four points. This week. Well, all I know is I was working and then I was preparing to do this broadcast. Uh, big, big deal. You know, $50,000 for the win, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I just had my head down as preparing. And then I get a text from you like five minutes after the deadline. Hope you boys got your picks in. And I was like, oh, dude, I was mother effing you up and down. You have no idea. How could you do that to me? I literally got mine oh. in with five minutes to spare. I barely got them in. Well, the best thing was this is the only tournament of the year. <laughs> Where Excuse big, me. Where big, yeah, bless you. Where Thank big, you. Sorry about big, that. Big Brad Jones, my boy Brad Jones, oh. is actually the producer. He and his boy Pep, they bring their they bring their rig out there, and then they produce it all. So we get to work together. And so this is the only time. Well, Saturday I was on the headsets with him, but I'm on the headsets getting ready for this thing, and I just start mfing you like, how how could you guys do this? How can you how mf you your not boy? Warn how me. Can you mf your boy. Really, you want a grocery list? I know. Hey. I and dude, honestly, I know you don't listen. I, you probably didn't get to see any of it. Um, but number one, what, the race itself. Yeah, did you see it? You talk about oh my dude, I saw the highlights. Like we didn't even talk about two fifties and it, and what crazy. Freezy did to Freezy's an idiot. He's an idiot. I'd love to get. I gotta. I gotta listen to the Paul podcast this week because I gotta just hear what they have to say. Um, did the Christian Craig? Dude, it's that was just insane. Cool. I don't even know how Christian Craig got up from that, but. You know, on the on the did flip you see side, what Christian of it. Craig. Po- but did you see Christian Craig post up there? He just no. took pictures of like, oh, he's because his like hand was all bloody. I think he got like a no shoulder way. laceration, like all this stuff. So he's like, he just posted up like, thanks, Vince, appreciate it. Like it was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is that it, it's 
Christian Craig, the only way that Christian Craig is going to lose his championship is if he gets hurt. When I saw him flying out of that screen, I thought, that's it. He's Yeah, he's hosed. And when he got up... I knew there was nothing behind there, Jason, because I know enough about camera positions at Supercross to know that there's nothing there. And he hit that wall, and he was was lucky. I agree He was very, very, very lucky. Um, But I got to say, there's two things. Number one, our boy Diffie is at the Olympics, and I don't know if you've been watching him. He's been great. Diffie's been awesome. Like with he's he's doing the luge Bob, and stuff, bobsled and, he, bob luge, yeah, and yeah. luge and all that. that's what I've been watching. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit behind because uh, we've been TiVo in all the Olympics, and so gotcha. I'm catching up, right? So I'm, I'm I'm a few days back, but I've been watching it. But Daniel Blair is do, he's doing an amazing job in the booth. I don't know if you listen to he Daniel is. Blair. I think he's really good. Yep. I think all I, of his. I think Daniel. Yeah. yeah, Daniel Blair is going to be the future of announcing in Supercross. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, yeah, he's doing you know, I think job. that there's a lot of things to be decided with networks and all that kind of stuff. But you know, Diffie's an NBC boy, right? Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. got the Rolex Twenty Four to do. He's got Olympics to do. He's got, I think he does rowing. Like he does a Amazing. lot of stuff. And so I think Daniel Blair is doing a great job. And I think that as long as Daniel Blair is in Supercross as a commentator, that Supercross is in good hands. I agree with you. Yeah, I, he does all the pre-show stuff, and I remember watching that before. And then, uh, and then I watched. Um, you know, now he's now he's in the booth since Diffie's over in China, and just really good, just very very intuitive with the stuff he comes up with. It's very well thought out, uh, and it's it, you know for me, I'm a lot more sensitive to that stuff now, doing the job that you and I do because I want to be relevant. And the stuff that he comes out with, he's very relevant. He's very honest. He does he criticizes in a way that's um, very educated if you know what i mean like he doesn't just criticize to criticize he has very good foundations for the things that he says they did a piece a couple of weeks ago on um what was it called um oh greg you gotta help me here they did a piece where it was basically You're talking about before before the race before the race, the race um whether it they're they're god there's a, two words i can't think of what they are now i've just gone and like drawn a blank just, it was a, just a feature right but yeah it was a feature of contender or pretender oh that's what it was yeah that's i remember you talking and about yep. and he just did such a good job with his i think a lot of people are you know they put a name up on a screen and everybody wants to say contender but at the end of the day he was very very sharp on some of the stuff that he had come out with and said and so yeah it was it's it was, it's good supercross is fun to watch every saturday it certainly is all right, well, that's going to do it uh, for our podcast. Obviously, if you want to get involved with us in the PulpMXFantasy.com, the league, um, then go there and join Greg's Garage Podcast because on a normal week, when I actually get my picks in, we'll talk about the weekly winners. Uh, but, you know. Sorry, whatever. G-Dub. I'll, I'll, I'll try to give you plenty of warning while I'm riding all day on Saturday this week at Chuckwalla. I'll be out no, there no, writing. Right. All, I'll be home. Know. I'll be home, and I'll make sure that I send texts five hours before, four hours before, three, Here just like go. I normally do when I'm home, and I take care of my boys. How about, Don't worry it, about it. is it, Uncle listen, Skip or Chuck taking any of this, or am I the only one taking it? No, only you. But only why is you. that? Because you you and I are tight, and Skip and Chuck are like old school They're, competitors. Yeah. They, they want to see us. me burn. You know, we should yeah, have had yeah, a yeah. side bet on total points between the me and you versus those two. Although you probably don't want me as a partner right now, but but we come, we, we both stink. But we'd probably lose that. But maybe, maybe we then could. we we could do that. Just start now, start now, and hit the reset button. Yeah, and have twenty dollars a, a week per team. What? What? A team? What? A team thing? What do you mean? Who's on the team? 
You and me versus me and you versus Chuck? those two knuckleheads. Ah, uh, dude, you, are you kidding me? They'll totally be into it. Totally. Oh, they'll be, be totally into it. I mean, I'll I don't ga- I don't gamble, but I'd be willing to do that. Yeah, I don't gamble. Yeah. Okay. Just All so right. everybody knows, my mom. Just so everybody oh. knows, I think don't, we talked about don't this. Don't tell her. Don't tell the world this. You poor the poor IRS. Well, you know? she's gonna have to deal with that on her own. Well, but I'm my sure mom, she lost my, more than my, she earned. My 82 year old mother won 15 grand on slot machines in December. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday, she walked into a casino up north to go play bingo with her girlfriends. But before they went to play bingo, she jumped on a slot. Ten minutes into being into the place, hit another jackpot for 10 k. Sounds like my life, dude. How great is that? That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like it's going to be a good Christmas for old Jason Pridmore. Well, you might finally February. you might finally get that Barbie doll you've been asking for since hey, you were six. Christmas is less than is is less than eleven. It was eleven months away, so we're yeah. You know, uh, we got to get through Daytona first. Yeah, we got to get. Hey, do you realize that we leave in less than a month for Daytona? Yeah. Oh yeah. How crazy um, is that? I can hardly actually wait. a month from month from today. I get on an airplane and head to Daytona because we're practicing a month from tomorrow. Will be Daytona's first practice session. Yeah, well, anyway. Did you mention what's coming up? Supercross A3 this week. Mandalika Circuit MotoGP test also this week. And any other news that we could come up with next week, me and G-Dub. I'm going to be at Chuck Walla, Greg, from Saturday to Thursday. So we're going to have to do the podcast. Is it a race race weekend? No, no. It's all all riding. It's going to be great. I got a full weekend, and then I got a full four days of stuff. So we're going to have to figure out a way to do our uh, podcast while I'm out there. Um, and yeah, man, that's it. So hope everybody has a great week. Rest in peace, Jason Aguilar. We're thinking about you.